Welcome, friends, fellow philosophers, and authors to this Wild Isle writing cast. I have with me Brad. How are you, Brad? Good. Yourself? I'm doing quite well today. Yeah. Uh, well, now that I'm up and about, I had a rough night, got up at like 2.30 in the morning after sleeping in intervals of like an hour, checking the clock each time. It was miserable. Oh, but here we... Uh, yeah, happens to be now and then. Yeah. Uh, but here we are, and today we're going to have um, the first discussion in a series of discussions. I'm going to invite different authors on. You're the the first to talk about writing, particularly to talk about, um, let's say, or question is the better way to phrase it, some assumptions that we make about writing. And today's podcast is titled, Furthermore, Genre Must Be Destroyed. Uh, and I actually kind of hate genre as a concept uh, i think that it doesn't actually refer uh refer to anything i think that it gets in the way when it comes to both writing and reading um but we'll see if that that bears out um what do you think about the idea of literary genres do you ever give it really much thought i can't say in depth except for when um prompted the other day although as soon as you said genre needs to be destroyed I, I was i was very interested um interested to hear what you think about that because my understanding of genre really is just a way of categorizing categorizing stories along expected tropes you know types of characters settings um themes etc basically to give the audience a sort of expectation of what they can um look forward to going in or to set a baseline anyway yeah, well, your impression is very much in line with a lot of common definitions. I'd kind of like to jump into those um, just so that we we have them. Before I do, always forget to do this, uh, I'm going to uh, shill for a second. I hope you don't mind. So uh, for you listeners out there, uh, <laughs> yeah, for you listeners out there, I wanted to let you know that I have revamped my editing service. Uh, I've rebranded. We're now the Wild Isle Style Guide, so I've niched myself in, uh, particularly focusing on uh, literary style when it comes to writing fiction. Uh, so if you're an author out there and you want to up your stylistic game, if you want to enhance the voice of your narrators and your characters, uh, if you want to, let's say, reach back into the annals of history and resurrect uh, prose of an older time uh, for the modern day, then come check out wildislelit.com uh, under my editing section and give me a query and see if we can work together. Uh, if you're really into it and you want to go full in, I also have a uh, combo style guide and thematic uh, analysis so I can help you embed theme deep into your story. So this is going beyond uh, you know, just the ups and downs, twists and turns of plot into uh, symbolism and making your story mean something, making it argue for something uh, deep. That's the difference between a deep and a shallow story. So it's wildislelit.com uh, slash editing, I think is actually how you get there. But get on my webpage, check it out. Uh, I also have a book out and I'll be having more stuff out soon. Be on the lookout for that. But uh, what I have out now is One Smoke Broken. Uh, it is a weird fantasy story that kind of reads somewhat like a uh, somewhat like a western uh i think brad you're you're pretty far into it what do you think so far of wow smoke broken i quite like it what i what i refer to it as is a fantasy with an american twist because you know with, with the uh, with what you describe as 
the town of South being akin to a, an old Virginia coal mining town, and you have a sheriff, and uh, you know they're wheeling guns and whatnot, and a bit of a say a bit of steampunk technology thrown in there. Um, I, I quite like it. Uh, I'd recommend it to anybody listening. Thank you very much, Brad. I really appreciate it. All right, I think I'm done uh, shilling, except for this podcast. So before we jump back into genre, I will say um, if you would like to appear on the podcast and discuss one of the topics that um, has yet to be discussed, uh, please go ahead and give me a contact. You can contact me through my website or any social media. Just get a hold of me. Uh, if I know roughly who you are, uh, then I might very well invite you on the topics uh, of discussion now, if you have something that you want to discuss, you want to recommend it to me, go ahead and put that in the contact form. Uh, but what we have planned uh, are that are still open are our novels, no, or sorry, our novel, novels, novel, uh, talking about originality, inspiration, homage, and um, derivation, delving into the depths theme as thesis. Uh, the author spake upon the face of the waters. It's talking about setting and world building. Uh, human after all. So it's a discussion about characters. Narrative voice. Uh, let's say potence or pretense. So discussing what narrative style and narrative voice even are. Regression to the mean. Rules of writing. Bell curves and Pareto distribution. So uh, talking about how one uses the rules of writing. Art versus escapism, that's uh, narratives as nourishment or decadence. That's something that I'm particularly excited to talk about, uh, as terribly judgmental as I am. Uh, spirit channeling, so that's tell, uh, storytelling via various mediums, because as I think in the modern day, we conflate storytelling across uh, literature, uh, across television, movies, uh, games, etc. And I don't think they're exactly the same. And I've got one that's probably reserved for the captain. If you know who captain is, then you know who he is. It's uh, when is the weeb always wrong? Um, and it's discussing narrative devices, uh, present and absent, specifically within anime and manga, uh, which harm a new author's stories. And as a uh, as a weeb of old, um, I will. I will admit that, yeah, if you haven't had a strong literary background, that can hurt you. All right, so I think that's finally the end of all the shilling. Let's get into genre and specifically definitions. Now, Brad, you had uh, brought up that you felt like genre was categorizing, uh, let's say, essentially common conventions. Uh, and that's actually, yeah, that, that's actually pretty accurate. It's, it's kind of what we get. Um, now, there's a little bit of history to it. So if I just look up some definitions, we see genus, kind, sort, or style. Uh, so that fits in with what you talked about there. Uh, I guess Aristotle, I didn't know this before I started taking some notes, had a an idea of genre as being like a species based particularly on the telos or the purpose. Uh, and this is with rhetoric, so oration. But I could see that crossing right over into literature as well, um, suggesting that the that the genre should be based on what it does, like what the function of it is. And I think that's how we get something like uh, the higher level literary genres, and that's, that's like uh, fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. And that seems to make sense. So that's not, those aren't the lines that he obviously uh, drew on it. Um, I believe Northrop Fry, as a guy, he came in and he, I think he, amongst other things, made those lines amongst a bunch of other ones. But I don't really think it is quite worthwhile delving too deeply into that. I think we should stick with, uh, let's say, just really what I took off of Wikipedia. 
Uh, so I'll just read this out very briefly. So this has got uh, categories that distinguish literature based on some uh, set of stylistic criteria sharing literary conventions. They typically consist of similarities in theme or topic, style, tropes, uh, and storytelling devices, common setting and character types and or formulaic patterns of character interactions and events, and an overall predictive form. And that's essentially a more fleshed out um, definition that you know you gave. Uh, but I've parsed out some concepts in there that I think we we need to further define in order to really understand um, how we are categorizing different types of fiction, right? So we're kind of on board. Okay, genre is a category. Uh, I don't see how we could dispute that. But it seems to be a category that is based on tropes, based on conventions, and based on expectations. So we'll start out with tropes because, uh, well, I won't reveal how I feel about tropes. You might already know. Uh, what's your familiarity with literary tropes? Um, basically common elements that pop up in certain stories um, might appear based on what the story calls for. You know, in fantasy, for example, you've got some common tropes of the wise old man, the chosen one, the dark lord, things like that, which, hmm, not sure where to go from there. Yeah, so, well, that's um, a good one to start with. Uh, it's right, a good right. one to start with. Um, we talked about, like, let's say, the wise old man uh, or the dark lord, things like that. The, the question that then comes up is what makes those things tropes specifically? Their common use. Ah, uh, okay, or there their, we go. Or their, or their um, what's the word I'm looking for here? How universally they can be applied within such a breadth of, uh, of stories in that genre. There's something interesting about that. The the two two answers that you gave they can be uh, let's say synonyms, but they can also not be synonyms. And what I mean by that is, if something is universal, um, it is in common. But if it is in common, it is not necessarily universal. Does that make sense? Yeah. So. So what I mean to say is, like, let's say you might have a trope in English literature that is in common, right? But that doesn't exist outside of English literature due to some parochial nature of the English. And maybe it doesn't appear in French and literature. And in French literature, you might have different common things. But then across all of those different forms of literature, you may very well have uh, universal, uh, let's say, universal types right we might call those archetypes uh in fact that's that that is what an archetype is so yeah, that's probably a more accurate term, right? yeah that's probably more accurate term to describe the wise old man rather than a trope that's more of an archetype yeah so now we have this bifurcation which is which is where i think the we're going to get into the the deeper discussion here so now we have archetypes now would we say that um is one a subcategory of the other? Are archetypes a subcategory of trope? Uh, or is trope a subcategory of archetype? How would we think about it? Hmm. I would... My guess would be trope would be a subcategory of archetypes because archetypes suggest something broader that can apply across 
more genres like we just said the uh probably archetype is a better description of the wise old man because that can technically appear in any story you want whereas dark lord generally that's only going to pop up in fantasy generally speaking okay so we've got uh, a system where we've got the the big universals those are the archetypes on top uh and then we would would say go down a level um of let's say universality into the 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 more let's say things limited by time and by place uh, then the question this is going to be kind of a weird turn here but I, I i tend to turn into this kind of philosophical question so with the 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 difference between a uh, a parochial i'll use the word parochial to refer to like the limited trope and then the arc i guess i could just use the word trope so we have a a, a trope is a trope a trope outside of its context It might, it might be a weird question. Like if I have a trope in England and I took it over to France, they would say there's no communication, so they don't know about. No one would know about one from the other. And I presented the trope it, from England to the French. Would that be a trope to the French? Probably not, because to them it would be unconventional. <clears throat> It'd be something they're not yeah. familiar with. They don't have the background to it like it would in England. Yeah. Okay. And, but the archetype would, because by definition it would apply across culture to tie tie that to an example really quick you know the lord of the rings when it first came out was really took off the united states because they didn't have that same background of folklore like the english did you know the english had robin hood and and the tales of king arthur and all that but in the united states they, they really didn't have that yeah, so they were hungry for it right away because there was like mm-hmm. a there was a there was a hole an absence. Yeah, and it was new and interesting to them, and they didn't have the cultural backdrop that uh, would have made it uh, more familiar. Yeah, or at least, uh, or they did, you know, used to, and they would they would have sort of moved away from it as after they declared independence. Yeah, and and what that suggests to me is that there is uh, for the universals. There is something in the universe uh, counting us. We, you know, we humans, we are part of the universe. So there's something in us as part of the universe that was receptive to that particular or or elements in that particular narrative, right? So uh, the archetypes will speak to the human to human beings um, if they don't, or especially specifically if they don't already have them, because they're they they have. you know, it's similar to how, you know, infants learn language. They have parts of their, or not really infants, but like toddler, like late toddlers, babies learn language, is that they have parts of their brain already ready to perceive the language. But then they have to look for language-like things in the environment, and then their, their brains adapt to that. Uh, perhaps archetypes are the same. Perhaps they are speaking to something that is, uh, let's say, already built into our, our biology in some way. Joseph Campbell argument there. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I have uh, here with a thousand faces behind me. Um, it's also a union yeah, I argument. Have I, uh, I have myself. I still have to read it all the way through. It, it's a, it's actually a, a dense read because Campbell assumes that you know about other 
uh, particularly psychoanalysts and other uh, people who have investigated mythology, and, and you kind of miss some of what he's saying without it. Uh, it took me a long time after I read the book to to fully understand it. Um, but I, I wanted to touch on that universality, the idea that, that Joseph Campbell's idea, essentially, that there is something universal with the archetypes, to then draw a contrast to the concept of tropes so that we could really start to pick apart, um, pick apart genre. So when we talk about tropes, and it's, it's a, I don't want to say merely local, but it's particularly local, and it doesn't cross-translate. Does that not suge suggest that the idea of trope does not touch down onto um, anything essential about, let's say, the universe or mankind, but only something contingent on a particular time in a particular place? Yeah, it would suggest that it's a convention of that uh, particular time or place, although that can, those barriers can be broken down as the, um, you know, as stories cross borders more and more often, as you know, people become familiar with the types of stories you know, told in another country. Yeah, so you could have cross cross pollination, um, but that you yeah, know that, that convention, yeah, that convention though is it's a it's a contingency, and I want to uh, and the reason why I call attention to that is there's a difference between that which is contingent and that which is fundamentally categorical. And something that is categorical, that's like, um, you know, that is a reference to something that is that we are trying to encapsulate with language to the best that we can so that we include everything that is essential to it and exclude as much that is not essential to it. Because to the degree that we include too much, we make errors and the degree to which we exclude too much, we also make errors in our... Uh, let's say, communication about that idea. Um, if I were to concretize that idea, it'd be if I think the net is bigger than it is and I'm playing, uh, let's say, soccer and I kick the ball and I missed the goal because it's I kicked it to a place where I thought the net was, that's not good. But if I think the net is narrower, then I won't take opportunities to kick it into where I could have because my if my perception of it is is that it's narrower then I'm not going to see all the range of actual full possibilities I have to, to score a goal and I think the same thing is true for genre and that kind of drives us toward expectations right because yeah this is going to be a weird a weird aside but I think it'll make sense if I were to say if, if a thing is a trope to the Englishman and is not a trope to the Frenchman, the question is, is it a trope or is it not a trope? It depends on the setting. Correct. And then I could ask a further question. If something is a trope in France but someone is not very literate and they're not familiar with that trope, so it's not common or uh, it, it's not understood to be a trope. Is it a trope to the Frenchman who doesn't understand it as such? Mm. Yeah, right? It, it's, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's not very clear. Here's another question. Before it was used commonly, 
was it a trope? Like the first time someone implemented something, it, it was it a trope then? I mean, not. It would have become a trope over over time as its use became more and more common. Yeah, and so you can see how because of all these contingencies, uh, I think the word trope has no essence. I think fundamentally it is um, it is a statement about a particular state of circumstances. But when we say X is a trope, I think X isn't real. So uh, unlike the archetypes, which I do think are real, because I think there's a biological essence to them. There is something about, let's say, the human condition that can receive them. Uh, that that may or may not bear out to the. What do you think of that idea? Before I don't want to just bulldoze on. So my, I, I've got to pose that as my thesis. I'll say it one more time, just for clarity. I think that tropes, as a literary concept, are actually essentially just poor literary analysis. It's a invalid category because it's merely a statement about a contingent state of affairs that isn't referring to anything in the uh, in the real world, uh, whereas as opposed to archetypes that do have some basis in what seems to be universal. Yeah, I think what you're getting at is that tropes, because they're so dependent on context and the uh, person applying them and, and um, where they're being read and how they change over time, I'm, think, I'm thinking what you're getting at is just trope is just too nebulous a concept. It doesn't really have any solid foundation to it to be of any use. Correct. And then if that's true, right, this is a bit a little bit of like Chinese logic. If we accept this, then what about that? So then we want to get to expectations in regard to genre, because I think that, uh, you know, you're familiar with the term genre expectations, like those two words juxta uh, juxtaposed together. Yes. Mm -hmm. OK, so I think that genre expectations themselves are the product of the same type of bad literary analysis as tropes. And honestly, here's, here's why, right? So uh, let's say you have a particular expectation of, from a story, right? Like let's say, uh, I don't know, if you're a fan of Conan the Barbarian and you read some of Robert E. Howard's later, did you say that you are? I am. Uh, awesome. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you read this particular story because this was, I believe, published posthumously because uh, it was a, a draft at the time, a pretty good draft. I'm, I'm kind of sad that it never got published. Um, I can't remember the, the character's name, but it's essentially not a story that's not about Conan in which Conan appears. And um, it breaks all expectations. So I expected the hero and the Conan story to be Conan. I expected, um, let's say, the the big bad at the end that's literally an ancient god to be defeated heroically in some way. Instead, what ended up happening is this god was killed by the unlikely hero just hurling a bench at it and that actually working and him being shocked as I was that that worked and then him just like taking the girl and running off um, and then the story ending with him telling Conan like 
Uh, I know you got this next adventure, but I think I'm just gonna not be a mercenary anymore and take this this woman I just rescued and go get married. See ya. Uh, like it, it <laughs> broke. Yeah, I mean it broke it broke every expectation I had. Now that being said, would that make it less any less of a swords and sorcery fantasy story of the Pulp Fiction era? I wouldn't think so. No, right? Because and so all the comic elements are still there. Some of the audience's expectations are being met, as opposed as um, in terms of what they expect to appear. But then you might, you know, just like rearrange things and do something different with them. Uh, yeah, and so what that kind of shows is actually, it's the the ex the the fact of subversion being something that people sometimes delight in, depending on what gets subverted. Um, suggest that expectations are actually not important um and this is something i learned through uh listening to a lot of dr peterson he talks about how uh, a lot of psychologists would use the word expectations and that was wrong because what they should have said is desire right because there's a difference when you expect something it's something that you predict but that doesn't say anything about how you are going to feel about it right like it, if I read a story and it, um, let's say, does things I don't expect but I delight in it, I don't suddenly start lambasting it as being, like, bad or, uh, un, you know, I might say it's uncharacteristic based on all the other, let's say, stories that are marketed a certain way. And that word market is going to come back in a little bit. Um, but what I'm getting at here, uh, rather roundaboutly, is that actually, um, I think that genre expectations are quite irrelevant, and it's whether or not you get you got what you desired. Um, a good example of this might be um, A Song of Ice and Fire, which uh, lots and lots and lots of people love. If you don't know, if you just watched uh, the television show, that's a Game of Thrones. Uh, some people, uh, I know a particular... <laughs> Say that again? I tried, I couldn't get into it. Yeah, some people uh, don't like it, and I think the reason... The, Show the that reason is, I'm not cracking the book open. Oh, okay. Well, you might look the the books a little bit more, um, maybe. Uh, if you didn't like the first two seasons of the show, then that, you know... But if you came in late, then the books are quite a lot better. Um, but it is, let's say... How have we put this? So, if you... If you, like me, uh, are used to fantasy doing certain things, it does something different, but you still like those things that it does. So your thought, the thought process isn't, oh, this isn't a fantasy story, uh, because it still has all the elements that would make it fantasy in setting, right? It, uh, but its story structure, its plot structure, and its characters and characterization are different than other stories set in a fantastical setting and if you happen to like that if it fits your desires then you like it and it's good and then if you don't you don't but you notice here that yes i've seen i've seen a vociferous argument on that very subject yeah right so all of a sudden expectations though you notice how those aren't actually those aren't actually relevant to the question of either whether that particular, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, whether that's fantasy or not, 
right? Because all of a sudden, it's like I well, I expected it being a fantasy story to have these other other traits, and then the word other has now come up. So now it comes down to one. Let's say if one likes a particular set of conventions used, and we'll call those tropes, and desires them to be there, then he or she desires them to be there and wants them to be there and to be marketed to, and therefore comes to both expect and desire them there when the market label says something. But the question is, is that market label of any relevance to the essence of what makes that story of a kind because remember now now we can kind of get all i know that was a really roundabout route but now we're back to genre right because the question is what makes it of what makes a genre of the kind that it is right like can we use tropes for that as because the tropes are like hyper ethereal and they're transient and depend on time and place can we use expectations for that like or even desires for that matter? Are we going to say like a genre is only what a particular set of audience desire it, it to be? Or conventions of the time? Do you see you see kind of what I'm getting at? The subjectivity that uh, is rife in the, in the modern and conventional uh, ways that we define genre. Because I do see that. Yeah, so... So what I think, so that's that's my that's my issue. So I guess I'll, I'll throw a more articulated question at you to, to see. So that is the the fundamental bedrock I have for justifying the destruction of genre as a concept. I don't think that it refers to anything um, anything essential. I think that it refers to a number of subjective elements that are going to be transit based on time and place and individual. And I think that's also why you have to have an infinite number of subcategories that no one can agree on. And do you think that's proper justification for uh, attacking the, the, at least the, the, the uh, conventional use of the, of the word genre? I can see where you're coming from with that because example to illustrate that would be the presence of subgenre where you know you've got fantasy and then within that there's medieval fantasy there's urban fantasy there's um, nordic fantasy like the story i'm working on and that that branches off in other mediums as well like music you've got rock then you've got a subcategory of heavy metal then you've got the subcategory of black metal then you've got subcategory of like 15 or 20 different styles of black metal and just goes on and on and on yeah, this is something uh, I did a, a number of lectures called the uh, um, philosophy of language, and this was something that I pointed out as having a bad definition. The more that you have to add qualifiers to a, like a, a concept or a definition or a term, it suggests that the term is bad because it it means that it's either not doing its job or it does too or it covers too broad a spectrum, and then it has to be narrowed as to be useful right because if you if you've got like i don't know a thousand subgenres of, of rock right it's like you can't just say well i like rock music because that doesn't mean anything right <laughs> the range is so big that it's like well you have to ask yeah 
right? It, it, it's not useful. And the same thing you could say with fantasy, right? Um, so for jumping back down that rabbit hole, um, I think what it's say what would be useful is just to, for us to talk specifically about what we think particular, what are commonly referred to genres are. Um, and then I think by just parsing out what it is that we're actually referring to when we talk about our, uh, our modern conceptions of genre, we might be able to, to actually figure out a better method of categorization. That's going to be a much, much heftier bit of the conversation. Uh, but let's start off with fantasy, since uh, both of us are fantasy writers and we hang around a lot of fantasy authors. Uh, what the hell is the genre of fantasy? Uh, that's a very good question. I, At its core, I see it as carrying on the tradition of old mythology and folklore. That's the purpose of it that I, that I see anyway. Okay, old mythology and folklore. Now the Socrates, the evil Socrates. Monsters and the nature of the world and the nature of the divine, things like that. So the the Socrates in me wants to ask... Broad, uh, people can... can um, sorry, not a lot of people. A lot of those elements can appear in other stories as well. That's just the baseline I'm trying to start from. Yeah, so I want to ask, if you have a story that is set... Uh, let's say in an, in a let's say contemporary technology but entirely fictitious universe. Uh, another way to say that is an entirely fantastical universe. If I want to be old about it, if you go back uh, more than a hundred years, that, that's how they talk about it. Is that a fantasy story? So the entire universe is fantastical, but it's very. Um, very similar to what our modern day day to day life is. Mm -hmm. Is that by that? Yeah, by that. Def, by that. Um, going on that framework, you could argue that any um, any story set in the modern world, but say in a fictional town, you could say that's fantasy. Because because I'm aware that is the problem with the word fantasy itself. Because technically, it means anything you can conjure with your imagination. Like we typically think of swords and sorcery when we. we when we uh, hear fantasy, but I've also heard it said that sci-fi is technically a subgenre of fantasy. So it's, it's it's really think about the the, uh, the meaning of the term. It's much broader than we usually um, we usually conceptualize. Yeah, and what that makes me think is that um, actually fantasy is a way to describe. Um, my argument would be that fantasy is actually a description of setting, and it's not a just it's not. There is no kind of you could if you wanted to like classify stories that are fantastical, but I think that that would that would be such a broad camp of stories, but it wouldn't be useful as a as a concept. Uh, that's my that's my argument. I don't think fantasy is a if we're gonna if we're gonna have the word genre as a species of fiction. I don't think fantasy is a is a single species. Uh, by itself, it's just there's two. No, certainly not. Yeah, um, and you mentioned science fiction, right? So we can talk about what makes science fiction what it is. Usually, speculative in a way, imagining how things are going to look in the future, or how things would look with a uh, higher level of technology than than we're currently at. 
essentially look to the I remember it was a um, question that Adernus did on Minds a while back where he asked about the distinction between fantasy and sci-fi. And my answer was fantasy, I think, is about looking to the past, to, you know, old traditions and folklore and mythology and exploring what they say about the human condition. And sci-fi is about looking to the future, speculating what the world may look like if we stay our current course, if we go on an entirely new one. That brings up questions like I think of... um let's say Lovecraft's at the mountains of madness. And here, here's a kind of question. So imagine that you discover that he, the human race was uh, invented by a technologically advanced race of elder things that uh, basically engineered human beings out of, uh, out of apes uh, present on earth. Is that fantasy? Is that science fantasy or is that science fiction? probably straddle the line between all three of those depending on how you handle them like if the um in assassin's creed they have the ones who came before who are i guess they're sort of demigods or something like that in halo they have the forerunners yeah yeah that's that's a pretty broad concept that again can pretty much cover any of those uh genres depending on how you uh how exactly it works into the story yeah so that makes it um Again, I, I'm not quite sure where I would put that. I would, if I had to pin it down, I would say the line between, well, I know that the line between fantasy and science fiction used to not exist, like in the pulp era. It just isn't, it's just not there. Um, you know, the moment where Conan runs into the elephant who came from a different planet, like, and also has a ruby that has sorcerous powers. It's like, it's like, okay, like, here's, here's the, the here's where this line didn't exist back then um and so i would say that science fiction is perhaps um a type of fantasy but what makes it distinct if they if there is something that makes it distinct and we do feel that there is is that there's something very very um hard and grounded in uh plausible reality like our plausible reality that makes science fiction science fiction as opposed to fantasy fiction is that do you think that's a fair analysis i think so because um to apply that to apply an example on that you think about the difference between star wars and star trek where star wars pretty much is space fantasy because you've got you know you have the flying ships and you know driving interstellar travel and all that but you've also got space magic and the force Whereas Star Trek, like I'm not super experienced with it, but my understanding is it's much more, much more grounded, and it's not necessarily hard science. Again, there, it's going to be, it's going to be speculative as opposed to with uh, what is possible in the future. But uh, there's still at least the sense that they're aiming at something more realistic. Yeah. So that's essentially the difference between hypothesized scientific progress versus magic, right? Uh, I think that's a that's a probably pretty good line, but then that would put science fiction in the same realm of setting, fundamentally that we just put uh, fantasy in, right? Like here is the the universe. Does this universe have magic in it? Well, like overt magic that seems to be fantasy, fantastical, and does it have, uh, let's say, advanced technology that we don't have? That kind of suggests that what we're dealing with is um, science fiction insofar as it's been let's say, made hard enough or crunchy. They even use the word crunchy, right? They talk about tech in um, 
science fiction. So let's look at some some other uh, ostensible genres like horror, right? Horror as a genre. Uh, what would really make something within the horror genre? Uh, I'm not super familiar with horror, but my sense is it's supposed to play on the human instinct of fear, explore you know, ways to induce that in the reader, what it really means, what's the nature of it, what can it make us capable of, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, now, there's all kind of I could be picky if I wanted to about like, well, how much how much fear does it have to put in you for it to count as horror? But instead of doing that, uh, my brain immediately went back to Aristotle. And I noticed that horror is not the same way of categorizing that fantasy and science fiction work, whereas those are very close to the setting. You could have any possible setting with horror, right? Like it's as long as it does something particular to the reader. So I, I guess what I'm getting at there is that uh, horror seems to be much more, uh, if we're going to define it, of it, is a species based on the telos or the function of the fiction itself. Fiction made to instill fear in the reader might classify it as horror. I say so, yes. I don't think I have a... Uh even against that yeah so well then the the, the question that well, a couple that, questions that, come that up brings a question brings a question are we even hmm. not sure where to go, go ahead that. uh well the question i i that came to my head was okay so can a different literary element eat up what let's say we might have found here in genre, right? Because it's like, okay, the idea that Aristotle's idea of genre was speciation based on telos, we have something that seems to fit. Does some other literary element take that away from genre? Because it could very well be like, is horror an element of plot? Um, immediately my head says no, because I could think of a bajillion different plot structures that could utilize horror as uh, a component. So, um, plot doesn't seem to be there character no i could i could do you know whatever characters and uh, and instill horror um setting my immediately thought is no because i could i could take any setting and add elements of horror to it um what's left theme no symbolism no yeah horror seems to be firmly within the telos the purpose the function what the work does uh, so we might actually have a, a case for genre, and it could have been that Aristotle was right a couple thousand years ago. Um, but we'll see, because I've got a couple other um, a couple other genres that are similar to horror, uh, well, such as like mystery, right? Because we all kind of know what a, a mystery story is. Am I am I overstating that? I I don't think so. It's pretty pretty commonly understood. There's a there's a question to be answered. Yeah. Um, put it now. I'll put it simply. Uh, now I could ask the question: Is mystery not more so an element of 
plot. What I mean by that, because what makes my, my head just came up different than horror. So with with horror, horror does not drive the plot forward. Horror is the experience instilled in the reader. Mystery, in the case of a mystery story, is what drives the plot forward. Uh, right? It's the, the tension is tied up in the answering of a of a central question. Um, and the question almost functions as the antagonist in a sense. Not really because there is an antagonist, but that's beside the point. The point is that the, the resolution, the climax of the story hinges on that. So uh, in my head, I'm thinking maybe mystery isn't really, it's not a purpose. It's not a function. It's, a, it's an element of plot. Do you think, th does that stand to reason? Um, I would think so because... Okay, what do you what exactly do you mean when you say function? Because, like we we said, horror is uh, you know the function of that is to instill fear in the reader. Like, um, usually that's that's the purpose of it. And, you know, to explore the nature of fear if if that's what you're going for in the story. And mystery, maybe that's the the function there is meant to be tension. Maybe it's meant to be wonder. Um, uh, but let's. Uh, I'm not sure where to go with that. Well, that's a good. That's a right line of thought, right? Because the question is, okay, is not the telos is not the function of mystery to, um, let's say, provide an element of inquisitiveness and questioning, and uh, you know, to make the mm -hmm. reader into a detective. And there's a there's a pretty strong argument there. Um, the the question that enough that you want to follow where it's going throughout the throughout the plot, you know, the, the, the you keep the twists and turns interesting and all that. Yeah. So here's the here's the 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 the, the conflict, right? So there's a question: Does it belong to genre or does it belong to plot? Now the answer to that question, I would think, would come in to how how universe yeah how universal does this stretch across stories, right? So in a sense, all stories, I uh, would say, are driven by unanswered questions in the plot. But then also, all stories, in some sense, make the reader into a kind of um, detective, right? Now, more some more than others, but in a sense, uh, you know, you, if you've got a plot, you have unanswered questions in the plot. Will he X or will he not X, right? Um, and insofar as the reader's engaging with it, um, the reader is the person wondering about that question. Um, so what, I guess that's, that's the question then that is posed to us. Um, what, what is mystery more? Is mystery, does mystery belong more so to plot or does it belong more so to its function on the reader? That's a very difficult question to answer, by the way. I apologize for asking it. <laughs> no, that's fine. I would say it depends on how forefront the mystery is, because usually, like, um, you you make the point that a lot of a lot of stories have some kind of mystery in them, like what's going on here, how is this going to resolve? You can have you know more subtle mysteries buried in certain stories. So mystery, when it's used when it's used as a as a genre category usually means like the mystery the big one is the forefront of the plot whereas you know like 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 i said in other in other stories it can be subplot of a sort or it can be you know the the the, the mystery can be who is the villain what is he up to that's kind of what i'm playing around with in my uh, in the story that i'm currently working on 
yeah, you just answered the question for us there uh, very deeply because I think that that firmly entrenches mystery into the plot as opposed to genre. Here's why I think that. So if you have a mystery plot structure, what that means is if the mystery were to be solved, the plot um, becomes, or at least, or if it's a subplot, that subplot or the main plot becomes resolved, right? So there, there is definitely a structure where once a quest that the central question is answered, that is like the main conflict is answering that question. The story is basically on its, on its, you know, uh, falling action at that point. That makes mystery very much, very, very tightly. Um, or central or essential that's the word i should use it makes mystery essential to particular plot structures to make them what they are and i think that that ties it much more closely than uh we could ever really say about um it in terms of genre if we're saying that well if genre is function every story makes the reader into a detective somewhat because there are always mysteries but certain plots are the mystery right it's like it is the thing so maybe mystery is now taken away so horror seems to be a fundamental tele uh, it has a, a telo, telo, telos a function um this this is a here's a genre that i see that i really don't want to 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 survive this test because I hate it because of how vague it is, but it might be legitimate, which really upsets me. And that's how you know you're on the truth, by the way. If like you 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 start to think a thing and you suspect it's true, and it gives you that terrible feeling in your chest where you're like, oh no, this this sucks. It's probably right. So you've probably heard the genre thriller, yes? Yes. And off the top of my head, I'm thinking that's meant to actually no. I'm thinking off the top of my head, that sounds analogous to horror, where it's meant to instill a certain feeling in the reader, but then say that that's a really vague concept as to what is what is a thrill. You know, you know, any 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 kinds of any kind of story could you give you any number of thrills any different ways. Yeah, it's really it's really broad. It's really vague. I think the the word is a bad word to use, but I think specifically in literature, it's typically it means that it's like exciting. Um, and I think that, that my worry here that I think is true is that I think thriller eats up what we normally think of as action adventure. Because when I think of action adventure, I think of the plot. But that doesn't say what it does to the to the reader. And so therefore, as a genre, just in the way that mystery was very close to the plot, like you have some plots that require action or require adventure for them to be what they are. And the moment that those things stop, the plot stops. But thriller to give someone a thrill, right, to make them excited seems to me to fulfill genre as telos or genre as function of the of the novel um what do you think of that analysis i hope i'm wrong by the way um again like thrill is such a broad uh concept i i guess i'm 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 i'll admit i'm not extensively familiar familiar with thriller as a genre and 
my thought is that gets into objectivity. You know, a lot of the same problems we have with, with genre can also be applied to uh, a lot of the same problems we have with genre in the first place. It's like, well, what is thrilling to any given person? What do, what do we expect to be thrilling? What does the author think is going to be thrilling to any given reader? There is some subjectivity. I think the same thing could be true of horror, though. Like, a lot of people, particularly modern-day yeah, exactly. people, might not think, let's say, Lovecraft is scary. Um, but I do think we can draw a line and say, okay, like, uh, imagine that we don't have our modern genre distinctions. And so I think a lot of science fiction, I think a lot of fantasy, um, the type of emotion that they primarily are made to instill in the readers might be some type of general excitement like you would imagine you get um, if you are uh, let's say playing playing a sports game or if you're uh, I don't know out cycling or um, I don't know some people might not think this is exciting or fun but if I go on a really long run out somewhere where I've never been before there's a bit of like novelty and excitement about exploring a new place um, the I think the idea of like the thriller very well or, or like I don't know if I'm about to go in a boxing match it's probably a better example uh, we could say that type of adrenal uh, related fight right the, the fight response or the move forward response in terms of excitement we could attribute to thrills and then we could say the flight response might be um, might be belong to horror so because you can trigger either or mm-hmm and again, that ties it back to biology, like the archetypes, which so which appeals to me naturally. Anytime I get hit on some type of objective essence, um, ooh, okay, wait a minute, let me think here. This might not be. Oh no, oh no, I discovered another terrible thing. <laughs> so on my list here, I have romance as a genre. Um, oh yeah, but. I actually now I'm th- but below romance. Do you know what I have on my list below romance? Can you guess? Um, I'm not, I'm not recognizing a pattern necessarily. Uh, I have erotica because the people separate. Oh, them. okay, okay. Yeah, right. Okay, so here's something I don't. I would hate to admit too. Romance. It's the same problem we just ran into with like mystery versus horror versus thriller versus action adventure. Some of those were plot related and some seem to be categorizable based on the, the what it functions for the reader. Well, romance is definitely plot, right? Because like that's like the you could even argue like romance is the uh, the hero's journey plot for women, basically. Um, and. So okay, Peterson's take on uh, women's novels. Yeah, uh, he is correct. (laughs) But 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 if romance belongs to plot, and then I think of erotica, uh, unfortunately, I think erotica might be the legitimate genre if we're going on teleology, because just like if thriller is like your fight response in terms of adrenal response and horror is your flight response then what we have is like erotica is like the uh, uh, the sexual arousal <laughs> response that would be tied back to the function 
of the work. Uh, tell me how I'm wrong. I would like to be wrong. I don't want to give Erotica any um, any legitimacy. Uh... Kill it, Brad. Come on. I'd have to think. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not very good at thinking on my feet. I'd have to uh, have to dwell on that for for a minute. All right. Well, you out there, audience, uh, in the in the comments, if this goes up on YouTube and elsewhere. Like, please, please destroy the idea of of genre being telos and erotica being legitimized. Uh, but yeah, okay. Well, that was an unexpected turn. Shallow so, and lacking artistic merit, and often just the author getting their rocks off and the reader getting their rocks off and all that. <laughs> the best yeah, I got off the top uh, of my head. Yeah. Okay. So. That's interesting. So we've got, um, we've got so far we've 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 kind of honed in. So what do you think of the idea so far as a whole? Given because I've got other, you know, genre, quote unquote genres on the list, um, but in terms of attributing certain things considered genre to let's say setting or to plot structure, and certain to the teleology of the work, uh, what do you think of the uh, let's say more Aristotelian method of categorization that genre is telos or genre is function. Do you think that that stands up? Some broader sense, maybe. Again, if, if we're going to define genre by the purpose or by its, uh, yeah, by, by its function, by what sort of, uh, feeling it's meant to induce in the reader because if because using thrill as an example um like i said that could be again there are there there there's any number of ways to uh to, to thrill the reader you know as long as you mention erotica you could classify erotica as a type of thriller uh you could but let's say let's say if i wanted to make these terms useful because my immediate thought is okay well what the hell is the point of this anyway right like why do we even have this word and I think the word is so that we could communicate um, what it is that we actually mean to communicate. Um, now, I don't like the way that these sound because, again, like I hate thriller because, like you said, this the the word itself is a bad is a bad choice of word. Um, it, 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 it it people it's it's got too many connotations. But let's say that it means like uh, the fight part of the flight or fight response. And then I say something like, okay. Uh, I've written a, uh, let's say, action, uh, action adventure fantasy thriller. Does that have a function? Because what I've done there is I took one of the elements that, I, that is of setting, I took one that we attributed to the plot, and I attributed one to the effect that it's meant to have on the reader to see if that actually each instead of it being redundant it being specific like here's a fantastical story where in which the fantastical elements are going to be somewhat magical in orientation as opposed to more science-based uh it's action and adventure which means that the plot revolves on the uh some conflict that's going to amount to like a, a fight or or exploring somewhere and it's meant to make you feel uh, that feeling of excitement that you would get into by being in a fight or going out and exploring a new place. That hold water? Uh... 
that, that's a lot to take in. Well, we can think of it this way. Let me try and change up some of the variables one at a time, right? Because I think if I do that, that'll tell us if this is legitimate. So instead of using thriller at the end, me... I'll stick with I'll stick with fantasy action adventure, and I suddenly say it's a fantasy action adventure um, horror, as opposed to an, uh, act, fantasy action adventure thriller. Does that make Does that make you? You know, if I say, okay, well, it's fantastical, magical, we're going to go, these characters are going to go on some type of adventure, and it's going to be terrifying. Do you think that that has enough distinctiveness to it? Not sure, honestly. Okay, let's try our third category here uh, to see if that works out. So, through because horror, like f flight and fight, those are pretty close. But if I suddenly said it's a fantasy action adventure erotica, does that does that specify what I might be talking about? If if someone told you that as the genre, I I guess, but then those elements often aren't going. Those elements won't necessarily mix well. Uh, they very well may not, right? Like maybe unless you're just into weird, like I don't know, uh, what's the word? Promise promiscuous, like mages traveling from town to town to visiting each brothel. Uh, I'm sure someone has written that story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So so. So, so perhaps it doesn't hold as much, as much water um, as as I'm trying to to make this bucket work with, but um, I do, I don't know, I do have a a liking for the idea that we tie genre to its purpose toward the reader because I could have an adventure story that has a multitude of uh, let's say purposes it's it's meant to do like. Um, you know, we had thriller, horror, erotica, and I could think of something like, uh, I don't have a single word for it, but something that's like educational as being a function, right? Like a story that's made to educate you. You could say like, okay, well, we have a, you know, historical fiction that is, uh, I guess we'd call it educational historical fiction, something like that. Um, cause that's like a, a possible function. Can you think of any others? Anything else that you might want? Any, anything else you might want to trigger specifically a feeling or an effect that you might want to impose upon the reader? Any other feelings or effects? So we've already covered uh, fear with horror. We've covered um, fight or flight with thriller. One that comes to my mind would be wonder, which any kind of... Um, different types of stories can can induce in the reader you know whether it's a fantastical realm or a uh, you know expansive uh, sci-fi galaxy mm, that is a good one that feeling of awe right the mm. i'm not even sure i can't even think of a because wonder is a good word but it would be weird to describe things like you wouldn't describe the book as a wonder it would be like uh like awe-inspiring, but that's too clunky. Mm. I have to think about that one. What what would you exactly call that? 
what you call a genre that's meant to invoke a sense of wonder in the reader. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. But that one might take a, a while to to single out a particular particular word for that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are we're closing in um, on our on our hour. Let's go over a couple uh, details see if we can come to some conclusions about this. So um, we were in agreement that genre is a form of category. We, we settled that. Uh, we talked about um, the conventional way of thinking of genre, which had to do with tropes, uh, conventions of use at a time and place, expectations, and then desires. Um, are we pretty conclusive about the, uh, let's say, not very firm foundations of basing genre on uh, trope and convention and expectation? Are we in agreement that that's probably not a good place to define genre? Or do you think that that still has some merit? Mm. I think a lot of people get a certain, a lot of people see a certain amount of usefulness, but in, in, usefulness in it. But again, that's dependent on the time and place, and it's not necessarily all that universally uh, useful. Yeah, so it, it can get by as as we get by now, um, but yeah. we do run into the to the problem of the necessity of infinite or not necessarily, but but many 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 subcategories in order for us to communicate. Yeah, that's fair to say as well. Like I said, with these, with the example of you know how many different types of subgenres and then subgenres of subgenres. Yeah. Um, and then we, we, fi- we finally arrived at perhaps uh, perhaps Aristotle being right that perhaps genre should only refer to uh, the function of the work, what it's, it's primarily meant to do to the reader, leaving off the other elements for things like setting or plot or even potentially um, character and theme. We didn't even talk about those. Um, uh, so, you know, gun to the head, what's your final analysis on, on that? Because I think that's, if, if I had to give mine, uh, I would say that my thinking from this conversation, I did not, I hadn't thought this through before, but I actually, I, I feel pretty, not firm, but I, I want to explore more in the future, this idea of genre as telos, genre as function of the work. Cause it get I, I feel it gives, uh, it gives itself a useful point of categorization that can be combined with the others to make a distinct description of a particular story. That's that's my take on it. What's your take on uh, the idea of genre as function or genre as telos? Well, if it's if we're defining it as a certain you're defining that as the feeling it's supposed to induce in the reader. Again, that becomes subjective because what one reader finds scary or thrilling or arousing or any of that and another another reader won't necessarily they, they, they might just be bored by it they might think it's poorly executed or something like that so if you're going to say the feeling it's meant to induce in the reader then that brings in author intentions which also can get kind of messy because there can be an element that ends up being woven into the story that the author did not intend to be there or you know people could be just misreading it on mass that is definitely oh, that is definitely an issue 
um, my mind immediately went to the four categories of what makes a thing what it is, and that that just runs right up into what's commonly referred to as the death of the author. Um, the question that that bears out of that is, are there human universals when it comes to, um, let's say, some of the stimuli that um, cause us to experience certain things? Like, um, is there are there human universals uh, or what we could say are universal enough amongst most normally functional human beings that instill fear, that instill uh, a feeling of wonder or awe, or that instill a feeling of excitement. Um, that, I don't know if we're going to be able to answer that here. Um, but that that's, that's yeah, certainly... That would be the best shot at it that I guess you would have. Is, is, is universal enough, applicable enough? Yeah, I think... Um, I think that that's if genre as telos has any feet, it has to find that it has it would have to find um, okay what is it that makes almost all human beings afraid in like the third order abstract right like and if I was Lovecraft I would I would get up close to the microphone I'd say fear of the unknown or something like that um, it was on my right. mind as well. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, that, I guess that does warrant some more discussion. Um, so I guess the, the question, the last question to, to be answered here is, um, should genre in the way that we talk about it, should we keep using it or should we, should we start to cast it aside and find different ways of categorizing our fiction? What do you think? That's that's a good question. I, it would it would have to be that that'd have to be a really big discussion amongst a lot of people. Because right now people find genre a useful enough convention they use it, even if as we've you know shown in the last hour there are a lot of problems with how we conceptualize it and how it kind of falls apart when you try to get into the nitty gritty details. It's uh, it, it's it's worth having the discussion. I don't know that I would I wouldn't firmly say genre as a concept to be disposed of, but I'm interested in in the furtherance of that discussion because if we're going to dispose of genre as a concept or or redefine genre anyway, there's got to be got to be somewhere we can get to that we can give it a solid redefinition, a more useful, more applicable definition. Yeah, so I guess that's a good place to throw that question out to the audience. What do you guys think? Like, what can genre be saved? Um, if it can be, how ought it be transformed to be more useful? Um, you know, let us know. And uh, Brad, before we go, um, is there, do you want to throw out any of your social media handles or anything like that? Anything you want to advertise yourself with? Yeah, I guess I can mention my Minds page. It's uh, minds.com slash codename Wraith. I post, um, I haven't in a while, but I post uh, I post a number of short stories there for your uh, reading pleasure. I don't have any books out right now, and probably will be sometime before I do. So you know, nothing to nothing to promote on that front. Um, but yeah, that's all that's right. really all I have right now. Well, for all of you out there listening, make sure if you're on minds.com that you subscribe to Brad and uh, check out his short stories that he has, and be on the lookout in the future. 
um, you know, breathe down his neck, make sure he feels the pressure that he has a, you know, an audience awaiting that want him to, to produce many and many a novel that'll be hunting you down like your George sure, R. R. Martin, sure. who some people don't like. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I'll show myself very shortly again. Remember, uh, I offer my editing service. Uh, so it's a Wild Isle style guide at wildislelit.com slash editing. Um, go check out my page there. I've got my novel out, One Smoke Broken, and I've got a series of short stories that will be coming out. Uh, within the next few months, I'll start advertising and talking and marketing about that all in the future. Um, and I think that's all for shilling. Oh, last thing. If you want to participate on this uh, podcast if you are an author and you know me or know about me or we have some point of contact where I can trust just randomly reaching out to you on the internet um, please do uh, contact me and if you've got an idea for a topic of discussion that we haven't already listed go ahead and pitch it um, all right Brad well this has been a really great conversation uh, I I, it went as well as I could hope to have gone. And I like that we, we came somewhere where I didn't think we were going to go. Uh, validating erotica as perhaps being one of the fundamental aspects of genre. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> what what have we done? Unleash the horror onto the Internet. All right, Brad. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you next time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.